This is the podcast by the Straits Times. Cristiano Ronaldo, Harry Kane, Gigi Buffon. Some of football's biggest stars were in Singapore over the last few days and they entertained over 50,000 people each night over the weekend. Welcome to a game of two halves, the Straits Times weekly sports podcast that is out every Tuesday. I'm Liu Lin and with me are my colleagues, assistant sports editor Rohit Brijnath and sports correspondent Sazali Abdulaziz. Now Saz, Ronaldo scored on our pitch. Tell us what it was like covering the ICC with some of football's biggest names in town. Yeah, first of all, it was tiring. It was super, super tiring throughout the... Uh, well, for that, Ronaldo that or you? Seven, well, for both of us, I think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, I tell you what, that goal that he scored, it uh, wasn't so much the goal, it was a celebration. I think he made it all worth it. It was honestly a goosebumps moment, you know, when, when he did his trademark celebration and an entire stadium somehow knew to celebrate with him, even those Spurs fans, which, you know, it's a bit yes, funny. Yes, I'm a yeah. Spurs fan. I was there and I celebrated as well. Correct. You know, everybody shouted C, which was, was just a spine-tingling moment. The, it's the power of live sport, right? Yeah, it is. It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, so this is my first time obviously seeing Cristiano Ronaldo live. And I think sort of the stadium was willing him to score at some point. Oh, because, yes. You know, he was doing bicycle kicks and stuff like that and everybody was beckoning him for, for him to shoot. And he eventually managed to get that goal, I guess. You know, that was such a iconic moment, honestly. It probably is the most hair-raising, goosebumps moment in the new National Stadium mm-hmm. since it opened in, I think, 2014. I think that kept the entire um, ICC. You know, Harry Kane's won the goal. Yes, he was a fantastic strike. But, you know, it just had a different feeling. It was just a, okay, you know, great goal, you know. But Ronaldo's celebration and that moment shared by 52,000 people or 50,000 people, uh, that was a fantastic So, nice to see the stadium full, right? I mean, that's what stadiums are there for, right? A part of you is always like, oh, I wish we had this crowd when Singapore plays World Cup friendlies Mm -hmm. or, or World Cup qualifiers and stuff like that. But, you know, the reality is they come for the stars and we should be happy that at least, you know, Singaporeans do turn up in, in droves still, you know, when there is world-class quality football on display. But having said that, I started my career in 93 and 94. 93, we made the Malaysia Cup final and 94, we actually won it. Yeah. And those were the heady days of the Malaysia Cup. And yeah. that was the old national stadium when we had just bleachers, wooden benches, no cover for the roof. But we had over 50,000 people. Yeah. And because Consistently. It, and because it was... So, so why don't... I mean, why don't... I mean, I wasn't here in those days. So why don't Singaporeans come and watch now? I don't know. I, I guess it's just... You, you mentioned the thing about this life sporting culture thing. Honestly, over the last two decades, this is my personal opinion, I feel Singaporeans have just developed into a society which sort of prefers to sit at home, watch EPL. In, in 2004 or five or six. I forgot around the mid-2000s. I went for a Singapore-China game. You know, I was in school. I, I, I was in poly. I went to Singapore versus China and 7,000 people turned up. So that was in the old Kalang Stadium, which is so sad, you know, 7,000 in, in a 55, 60,000 capacity stadium. So even at that point, we, we already saw that Singaporeans don't really... They just don't, don't turn but up. But I think also maybe, you know, cable television. I think, you know, all those years when you guys had the Malaysia Cup, maybe you didn't have access to as much live sport as you have now, I mean, you have four, five, mm. six, seven, eight channels mm. full of 24 hour sport. Singaporeans, if I may say so, love air conditioning. So, yeah, they do. No, I can understand. I mean, but I think people should go, you know, because live sport is fun and watching together, shouting, you know, it's, it's fun. But there's a part of me that also believes it's this Singaporean thing where we're a bit self loathing, like we don't really support our Singaporean music, we don't support our Singaporean movies that much, Singaporean products. And same goes with football for some reason. Anytime anybody does something great, 
you know, there, there will be detractors, you know, there will be critics who say, ah, you know, it's not great, there's better, you know, that kind of thing. You don't see this kind of mentality, you know, in Thailand, you know, where they turn up 40,000, 50,000 every time the Thai national team plays, you know. So, I mean, it's a two-way thing, lah, you know. It's a two-way thing, it's yeah. a two-way thing. But it was it was nice, I mean, I didn't go to the match, but uh, I heard about it. You know, I think it's fantastic for athletes to have a full stadium and, you know, it's nice for fans to have drama. We have sophisticated taste now, I think. If you bring the stars, they will come. Yeah, because of the you diet, know, la, like I said, yeah, because of the diet know? of EPL and Champions yeah, League yeah, and, yeah. and European football. That's why names like Ronaldo or Manchester United draw 100,000 to the stadium over two days. You know, and, and last year when it was PSG reserves effectively because of the World Cup, then you know, maybe the excitement, the buzz wasn't quite there. Yeah, you need, I guess you need people like Ronaldo. I mean, you bring Ronaldo, everybody wants to watch. Yes, but also, which brings me to another point. I think there was quite a lot of outreach that some of these big stars... I think United had about four or five events yesterday. Um, six, I think, actually, six. including a so-called official meet and greet. So yeah, and then uh, earlier, I think and on Saturday, the other clubs also had other staff also. And you could see that people turn up. Yeah. People turn up queuing, they queue for hours mm. for just to see them. Uh, on Saturday morning, when Juventus arrived, now they were three hours late. And they only arrived at the hotel at 12.45. And they were supposed to be there at 9.45. And fans had queued from 8 o'clock in the morning. And they queued for four over hours just to just see their stars for three seconds. To queue and beg for autographs, for their jerseys to be mm-hmm. signed. And they're not waiting in the hotel lobby, you know. They're waiting outside in the hot sun. So I think to me, that says a lot about what our fans, what they're prepared to do for you when you have earned their loyalty and their respect. So whether, Saz, I'd like to ask, whether players, you know, good with the fans? Because, I mean, I think there's a great love and worship of football here and football players. But I hope that the players respond appropriately. For the events that I turned up, at the public events I went to, I saw that the players really did seem to embrace the fans' adoration and, and they really enjoyed being on stage and interacting. At each of these events, there were hundreds of people, even close to a thousand. So it's kind of tough for them to sort of Sign on make everybody them. happy. Yep. But at the same time, you could tell from their body language, they could have just did the bare minimum and gone. But you know, for example, I went for uh, an Adidas event at the floating platform where Paul Pogba was there. He didn't take questions from the media, presumably because you know everybody's going to ask him about you know are you staying or are you leaving and probably the club just wanted to avoid that but when he was up on stage you know he was himself you know he took the mic he, he joshed around with the crowd he joshed around with his teammate Mata and when he did you know challenges juggling football juggling a sepak takraw ball you know he, he really really enjoyed himself he kicked balls into the crowd you know and for that he, he signed balls and, and kicked it and on the way out he took a there was like this Japanese drum thing set by the side of the stage and he took the sticks and he started you know playing on the drums you know that kind of thing so you can tell they want to endear themselves and I think it's a really natural thing they just want to be themselves and they just they're happy to see their fans and happy to sort of you know at least give them something to smile about okay that's good that's good because i feel that there's the gap between you know top class athletes and fans is growing you know it, they live in you know a little bubble Correct. so I, and i feel that you know fans they buy shirts you know they spend money they fly to you know different cities to watch their team so i feel it's very important that athletes also give back not just in performance on the field of course but you know signing autographs man how much it means to yeah. kids i can't tell you yeah but s- some of them are like that you know maybe because it's this from what I see a couple of the Spurs players for example maybe it's because they're desensitized in a sense you know everywhere they go people stick a piece of paper or a shirt in front of their face and expect them to sign and 
Also, sometimes they do it. Maybe they don't realize they're not really smiling yeah, or really true. interacting with the fans. But automatic uh, on automatic. Yeah, uh, on yeah. automatic. Yeah, some of them were like that. But yeah, I think by and large, the players enjoyed being here. You also had your own fanboy moment, right? Yes, I uh, interviewed Gigi Buffon, who Juventus goalkeeper, and you know he was an idol of mine when I was in school. So I picked uh, number seventy-seven, which was his old jersey number when he was playing at Parma. He was wearing that last night, wasn't he? Uh, yes, he was. Yes. Yeah. So he he took that number again when he resigned for uh, Juventus this year. So. I mean, I didn't have the opportunity at all in the previous two times he was here with Juventus and PSG. But you know, the club helped to arrange an interview with him, and I after the interview at the end, I just told him, "Hey, this is my high school jersey." You know, he said, "Grande, grande." He looked really thrilled that somebody would pick his old jersey number for for his school team, and he signed with friendship, Gianluigi Buffon. So they say never meet your heroes, but I'm sure whoever came up with that term, you know, wasn't talking about Buffon. Like, yeah. <laughs> No, that's nice. But I I heard he was scared that he didn't want to face a penalty from you or something. Ah, that's, <laughs> those are just rumours. <laughs> okay, on a more serious note, was there anything about the action from the two matches that we felt that we could glean from, you know? When they rolled out their new players, was there anything that we can see? It was the first game, first pre-season game for Spurs and Juventus, second for Inter. And it was Manchester United's third, so... Uh, you know, they've been in preseason for a while already, but I think it's still a bit too early to draw any real conclusions. But one thing that struck me was United looked really fit. I mean, they started their preseason on July 1st, and you know, seeing their training session, Solskjaer has really sort of drilled. He's not making them run 24 7, you know what I mean, but he's emphasized intensity. Even in their one hour session, it was really sharp. He didn't want breaks mm. in between drills, so on and so forth. And even the drills are about keeping your concentration, you know, defensively and attacking in the attacking phase, you know, not to sort of have moments where you sort of like sort fade of sl- uh, fade mm. out and slack and stuff like that. So it's, it's always about being on your toes mentally and physically. And Aaron Wan Bisaka, I think, will be a new hero for Manchester United fans. He was amazing. I think a couple of times in the game against Inter Milan, you know, he made a couple of crunching challenges and the stadium just started to echo his name so I think he'll, he'll be a, a hero for United fans in the months and probably years to come Besides Ronaldo right did any other player impress you? Yeah I mean Spurs new signing Tongi Dombele who a lot of people mispronounce his name because it's spelled less Tangui Ndombele but it's a silent N and it's Tongi but he did well it, three minutes after coming on he laid on the assist for Lucas Moura you know Pochettino said after the game that he can be that sort of missing piece of the jigsaw in Spurs midfield and yeah I mean uh, Pogba had showed glimpses of his quality we all know what he's capable of and you know a couple of times in the game he sort of beat two three men uh, and then was crowded out or taken out by a foul it's strange because the games were not played at a slow pace but it was very much pre-season like we saw like for example we saw in the Spurs Juventus game the defence was passing the ball you know right you know almost on their goal line you know and taking that kind of risk you wouldn't normally take in a game so like I said you can't really draw too many conclusions but I think in terms of performances of the individual players I think the coaches would be very happy with what they saw Now if you like what you're hearing so far do subscribe to our series A Game of Two Halves on Apple or Google Podcasts or even on Spotify like and give us a rating Okay, Now back to our conversation Okay now Rohit World Swimming Championships going on we have a team there Joseph Schooling our Olympic hero didn't do that well and there were upsets with uh, Katie Ledecky as well. Can you take us through that? Yeah, I mean, Joseph, 20th in the 50-meter butterfly, mm-hmm. but that's like not really his favorite event. 
I think the, the two great things on the first day was uh, the first was Kitty Ledecky going for a fourth title in the 400 meter freestyle uh, in a world championship uh, loss to the Austrian Australian Ariane Titmus right at the end um, Ledecky was doing well and this uh, girl had a fantastic Titmus had a fantastic finish just uh, surging past her at the end I think it's a great thing because Ledecky is going to get upset so that's going to make her want to swim better and this girl is young and she knows Ledecky is going to be coming for her so that's great and the other was of course Adam Peaty in the semi-finals of the stroke breaking the world record I mean it's fantastic the first man to go under 57 seconds in the 100 meters but the story of course for us is going to be Joseph in the 100 meter butterflies on Friday which is the heats in the morning and the semi-finals in the evening and the finals are on Saturday morning I can't say what I'm expecting from him but as I wrote in my column I believe in Joseph I mean I do I mean he made me a believer with what he did in Rio I mean this young man coming from Singapore 21 years old you know winning an Olympic gold I mean it's just the most massive thing that you can do and beating Michael Phelps if Joseph never did anything again for the rest of his life he would have done something extraordinary and I don't know when the next Singaporean to win a gold medal in the Olympics will come well hopefully not too long but of course one of the things that comes with the Olympic gold is pressure and expectation and He's done okay. I don't think he's done too badly. I think what happens when you win an Olympic gold is there's always a period where, you know, you just sort of deflate because you just chased one dream all your life and then you got there and it's, you're 21 years old and you think, well, what do I do now? You know, and so then you have to reset your dream. I think the first thing people do is they need to take time off because it's, I think it's very hard for normal people to, for even for me, you know, who, who cover sport to understand how hard these people work, you know, how much you must dedicate, you know, how much you must sacrifice, you know, you how much you must diet, how much pain you must take, how much you must get up every morning and swim. So what goes into an Olympic gold medal is, you know, four years, eight years, sometimes 12 years, you know, for people. And so I think once you do it, you know, you want to eat some good food and you want to travel a little bit, you don't want to go to practice. And then you come back and sometimes when you come back, it's difficult to find that speed again because, you know, you've changed, your body's changed. You know, Joseph's not the same age. He's very young still, but, you know, your body is different. Maybe it responds in a different way. You know, you have to work on your technique. He's come back uh, from, from America to train in Singapore with different coaches, with different people that he, he trains with in the morning because maybe was it more competitive in America than it is here. So there's all sorts of little things. And I think you have to find your fluency. I think the thing with him is he has time till he has, you know, a year exactly till the Olympics. And I think that I actually think this meet is, I can't say that he won't win a medal because I have no idea what his timings are. But I think it's more about finding out where he is and what he needs to do to be fast enough at the Olympics. I think the one thing we've seen from schooling over the years is he never really panics. Even when he doesn't really necessarily do well in a meet where you know everybody else expects him to do well. Like you said, he sort of just takes note, takes stop, and then next thing you know, he produces the goods, you know. So just based on that, I feel like, you know, he probably will come good in some way or the other. But yeah, I think he won't be too much in a panic, lah, even if things don't go too well for him in Guangzhou. I think you got to expect from athletes, of course. That's the normal thing to do is to expect. I think Joseph expect what Joseph expects from himself is far greater than what we might expect from him. But I think all of us, we must always remember what he's given us, you know. Gold at the Asian Games in 2014, medal at the Commonwealth Games, the Olympic gold, gold again at the Asian Games, uh, World Championship, bronze. So, I mean, he's done a lot of things, you know. So, I think sometimes we, I think fans, and that's what people are, we always want more. And we should want more. That's fine. That's no problem. But we should always also remember what he's done. Okay, and on that note, that's the final whistle bringing us to a close, a game of two halves. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks, Julian.
That was an SBH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sbh.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times and The Business Times online.